Even if it can be an encouragement to someone, you may be doing something right now that seems like you're just feeding into a purpose for the right now, or just doing a job right now, or learning, you're just doing basic admin. It always, when it's surrendered to God, leads to something more. Hello friends, welcome to another new episode here today, brought to you by our partner, International Justice Mission. Stay tuned at the end where you'll hear more about the great ways your church can partner with them in the work they are doing. Jason, so good to see you. How are you doing today? Yeah, it's good. I'm excited about the conversation we're about to share. Before we jump in, I've been thinking recently that I want our listeners to get a better window into the team at the Canadian Church Leaders Network. And maybe over the next couple of weeks or months, we can introduce some more staff. It's not just me and you. There are a team of staff and volunteers, and we have a pastoral advisory team, a group of pastors from across Canada who are speaking in and shaping the work we're doing. And so I kind of want to give almost like a shout out to them just to almost introduce them, but thank them. And so to Anne Miranda from Village Church, Daniel M. from Beulah in Edmonton, and Brent Ingersoll from King's Church out on the East Coast, huge gratitude to them. And these represent people who have a heart for the church in Canada and are investing their time, no strings attached, to shaping and forming the work we're doing through the Church Leaders Network. Wow, Jason, I love that. Thanks for sharing that with us today. Now, on with us today is Ben and Emma Narianen from Avant Life Church in North Vancouver, You sat down with them a few weeks ago and it sounded like a really cool conversation on their calling from Australia to Canada and how they ended up in their building and the coffee shop they run out of it and what they're doing to build a really creative culture in their church. And I cannot wait to listen to it. Leash, what's been happening is we set up these interviews, people that I haven't really met before, and then we get on and have these conversations and then we become real friends. And that's what happened with Ben and Emma. We both serve Jesus and are building a church in the same city. They're incredible. They were inspiring for me. I love their faith for what God's doing in our time and their insight into how to build culture and team. And so let's jump into the conversation with them right now. Well, hey friends, Ben and Emma, thank you so much for making time to hang out today. It's good to be with you guys. So good to be with you, Jay. Love it. Guys, we're not far apart. I am just south of the downtown core of Vancouver across False Creek. You guys are on the other side, the Lionsgate Bridge in North Vancouver. Yes. It's a beautiful day. I bet if we yelled out our windows, we could hear each other. Man, this is from there to all the way up to the North Shore is God's promised kingdom. Yeah, it really is. It is. It is. How long have you guys been living in the Lower Mainland? Three and a half years No, now. almost four years. Almost four yeah. years. There you go. And what, what brought you guys all the way? Because you guys sound like you're from another country. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. I yeah. like to call ourselves Cozzies. We're Canadian Aussies. Come um, on. So we come from Australia down under and um, moved over here four years ago. We do. Yeah. We, we came here to plant a church yeah. to answer mm-hmm. the second part of your question. Mm-hmm. Um, from, from nothing, really. Yeah. What is it about Australians? Because there's a strong, like, uh, we've been doing this podcast, I think, I don't know if we've done like 50 episodes or something like that. And there's probably been like eight Australians, which is like on, Mm. you know, it's disproportionately high. Like there's something about how God is sending Australians all over the world, full of faith to plant churches, to lead churches. Have you figured out what that's about? You know, when we grew up, like growing up, we used to sing this song and like most Australians would know it. And it was called the Great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And we would like sing this out in our churches. Any type of church would sing this song. This is the Great yeah, it was Southland. Like, it was like the Australian Christian anthem. anthem. And Can you sing it for us? Uh, yep. Then you take the low harmony. Yeah. This is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And then I've forgotten the rest of the words. I'm not very good at singing. Anyways. Land of red dust, plains and summer rains. From the sunburnt sky, we will see a flood. flood. And from this great Southland, your spirit come. And... We declared that a lot, and mm. I would say our whole nation of believers declared that. And so I think... It's because it's based off Smith Wigglesworth. Yeah. He came and did a crusade in Australia. Really? And yeah. his prophetic word over Australia was, Australia would usher in the, the last great move of the Holy Spirit before the second coming of Christ. Wow. But no one knows what know to do that. with that. No one knows what, what to do, do what with do that. What do you do with that? <laughs> it's, like, it's like when people... You know what the prophecy of a candidate is? And, and, and by the way, I'm not talking cheeky about this. Like, this might sound like a cheeky comment. But I, I think there's think, people talk about like the like Canada being healing for the nations of the world, and I really yeah. believe yeah. that Canada is uniquely positioned. And it's cool how 
I really do believe God does do things. I don't understand why God works on national levels, but even as we're doing this podcast, we're really believing for something in Canada. And yeah. he does something in Australia for the world. And obviously we're integrated, but I love hearing that. But I actually think there's mm. something, I'm, something I'm, I'm convinced is that Australians are full of faith. And I know I'm generalizing. And I'm just praying that God sends more to plant churches across Canada. That's wow. so encouraging. That's so nice. So guys, tell yeah, me about your nice. story. So tell us a bit about Avent Life Church in North Van. Right. We launched back in 2018, uh, September, last day of September or something. Like that. No, yeah. it's the 28th. 29th. I'm, ter- I'm terrible with this stuff. doesn't matter. Um, yeah, after moving here, we were 18 months earlier, we moved. And um, that is a long story. So we have this privilege of running this incredibly creative church on the North Shore that God... Um, so so faithfully, uh, I guess, built, and we got to co-partner and labor with that, and it's just been miracle after miracle. Mm. But we are a very, like, highly young adult um, congregation um, that loves creative things, hence the word avant life. Um, and so we spend a lot of our time reaching those populations of, of young people in particular, but we're not defined by that. It's just what happens. Um, I guess they just have a really weird or misconceptions about the church, Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just live that every day. Yeah. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But it, of- it's an interesting, like, I mean, even the name Avant Life, like, you don't really hear that as a church name. Mm-hmm. And I remember when um, we actually came over in 2016 mm. to, um, we came over to do some church planting training in Calgary. And then we came to Vancouver and it was my first time, one, in Canada and mm. then in Vancouver. And Ben had had this stirring on his heart to call the church Avant Life. And I was like, no, I don't know what that means. Like, it's I like, like... Neither do I. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm someone that I'm constantly like Gideon. I'm like, God, give me a sign. Like, mm. like I need a sign. Can you please give me a sign? And we were walking downtown in Vancouver and <laughs> literally Yaletown. I'd, pr- yeah, in Yale town. And I prayed like that prayer. And then five minutes later, we saw three businesses called Avant something. And mm. the third time I saw it, I just got this piece and I didn't like the logic behind the name didn't make sense to it me yet. It was a hair salon. Yeah. And there was a florist and there was another one as well. Um, but it was just kind of like God speaks that God's spoken to us like that, probably particularly me, like that mm. along this whole journey of like mm. where my faith may not be strong, he'd just give me this little push across the line. And um, even in the name Avant Life, mm. like it was a God-breathed word. Um, and so it's it's been pretty exciting doing the journey so far. Like we love it. Yeah, mm. it is a lot of fun. I think it's amazing how much you outwork your name, even though you don't realize uh, what God was doing originally, like like Emma said, she didn't like the name Avant Life, so we tried everything else, like Chapel Life, you know, Tabernacle of Praise. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that one, but, but Shekinah yeah. Glory, like yeah, yeah, you know, um, and it just wasn't wasn't fitting. So we went to Avant Life, but that comes from the vanguard, right? We really do believe. Uh, initially, we're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna challenge how how the how we as a church engage with the the non-christian or the the faith seeking people of our community but the longer we do this we realize that we're actually probably more or less challenging one our own norms of what we thought church mm. should look like and we're definitely beginning to to pleasantly ruffle feathers of those who like church a particular way um, and helping <laughs> them understand that maybe God's got something else in in store that needs a vanguard what does it look like to move from another country and to actually build a core base? Like assuming that part of your launch strategy was to like have some sort of core team that you would launch with or talk, talk to me about like that, that, that launch phase and building a team and casting vision and getting that kind of that incubated season off the ground. So um, we'll do it in dump. Is it all right? If we like, we won't shoot through it, but we'll, we'll take it back. Cause it, it's a unique. In take the us sense back. That, yeah. So uh, back in time, 2016, 2015, October, we hear from God, or I do initially, that, hey, you're going to plant a church somewhere. Um, hmm. Up to that point, I didn't want a bar of it. Like, I grew Were up you in serving church. in a church at the time? Yeah, yeah, on staff in a church, uh, full-time, both of us, uh, worship, young adults, youth, um, and Emma was plus that, plus events, and I was the um, like the business manager for the church. Um, and so, and it was, it was a reasonably sized yeah. church, eight, nine hundred people. 
Um, and we were doing that, and we felt the call from God, and I was like, babe, I think God's moving us on somewhere. And so we prayed about it, and then in January 2016, we, we really sensed it was Canada. And I hate this part of the wow. story because I can't, I can't remember when. <laughs> I can't remember the conversation with God, and I can't remember the conversation with Emma in relation to Canada. I just remember the time was January. Um, mm. It was almost like a completed sentence. We, yeah. It was, oh, yeah, Canada, but I don't think we discussed it much. We just accepted it. It was this progressive it. journey. Like, there were so many different, like, Not signposts along the way. Not at that moment. No? We got to your signpost. Oh, no, I, I'm talking about, like, even when Ben was, like, at a, when you were at, like, a youth rally when you were young, mm. there was this guy called Tim Hall, and he's um, he works very much prophetically. Mm. And didn't he call you out or something? Yeah, he got us all, all us young fellas to come out the front. Yeah. And then he prayed, he said, God's going to give you an image. And I just saw North America mm. glowing. And I was like, I don't want to move to the U.S. Completely forgot that it's another country <laughs> Um, another one. I feel bad about. I've carried. <laughs> You're not the only forward. one. So. Sorry, Canada. And so it's fine. I was like, oh, and so when God put Canada, like almost like he re- like reminded me of yeah. that vision. I was like, oh, there's a second country. Yeah, of course, but. Um, and so we pursued that, and then in March we went on a holiday. We're shooting through this real fun ways uh, up to the Gold Coast, which is like. Do you know much about Australia, Jay? You know, I know, I know the Gold Coast. The, oh, good. Just making sure that we're. we're I can Coast, point to it on a map. I think. Yeah. Come on. It's beautiful. It's beaches. It's, it's like it's where like, everyone goes to holiday because it's stunning. It's stunning. Yeah. We went there to holiday, and uh, we got great friends that have planted many churches on the Gold Coast, and we stayed with them. And weirdly enough, they obviously knew something was on our hearts and minds. Mm. They're like, "Where's God sending you?" And we're like, "We feel called to Canada." And he's like, "What city?" And Emma and I hadn't discussed this yet. And I just said, "Look, North, North Vancouver." <laughs> and I was like, so it wasn't just what? Vancouver. You were thinking North, like specifically. But like, let's just, we didn't know that there was a North Vancouver. I just meant like yeah. the, the northern, northern part, part of Vancouver. <laughs> oh, hilarious. That's amazing. <laughs> so I'm just mean like every city geographically, doesn't matter how elongated it is, There's has north. to have a northern part yeah. to it, right? So I was like, the northern part, like North Vancouver. And then we we're like, oh. And Emma was like, what? Like he's, because he said this in front of like good friends of ours that would be, mentors in the in the faith you gotta say it publicly um safer yeah but i was shocked by that because we hadn't had that discussion and to give you a Mm. bit of context he's a missionary kid like he's done he's traveled his life like he's been in different countries all the time i grew up in the same city my whole life um when i was two years old we moved to this one city and i stayed there until we came and moved to vancouver so there was a difference in how we were going to approach a big mm. move across the other side of the world. And so he says this out loud and proud. And I go to my classic Gideon posture and I'm like, all right, God, like if I'm moving my whole family to a place I don't even really know anything about, like how they're just polar bears, like roaming the streets, like like yeah. what is Canada? It, I mean, just like you guys think we ride kangaroos, which we totally mm-hmm. do. Um, I thought <laughs> like there was polar bears just walking the streets of Vancouver. I didn't know what I was I didn't know what Canada looked like. And so I went into my little prayer closet and I just said, God, I need signs. Like, I can't, I can't (laughs) make this decision without you because Ben is an entrepreneur. So he's got a million great ideas in his head any time of the day. So I was like, I need to know, is this like a really good Ben idea or is this like God speaking? And so you guys move all across the ocean Mm -hmm. with three children um, yep. land in right to North Vancouver. You guys settle in there. Yep. So like my, we had a team of 12 young adults that felt the call to come with us. Wow. Um, so we brought 12 people. What does that look us. like for 12 young adults to say, yeah, I'm going to move. For uh, it looks like, like God has to be in it. Yeah. Hmm. And, and you become dad and mom for 12 young adults for the foreseeable yeah. future that all of them had never left their home. Like these wow. guys are going from living at home with mom and dad to the other side of the world, which was crazy. Yeah. Which takes mm. great faith. Like, I mean, it ta- it, yeah, it's incredible. It takes yeah. faith to hear from God. Mm. It takes so much more faith in my mind to follow the guys and girls that yeah. heard from God in that sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, man, totally. I but Canada's awesome. So in that sense, it was a bit of an adventure, like worst case mm-hmm. scenario in their mind, two years in Canada. Um, so yeah, 12 people, we came over. So myself and two of the team came like two weeks earlier to like scout and, you know, we had our plans and... We thought it was going to look this way, but like I had visa issues. Um, like 
a few weeks before flying in, the visa I was on couldn't happen because the church that was sponsoring me had like uh, governance issues, and so they didn't mm. want to take the risk of of so, like take that responsibility when they could be going through stuff they they couldn't right. promise. And so my visa was dependent on that, so I had to enter in under a tourist visa. My, my lawyer here in West uh, West Broadway was like, "Don't come," and I was like, "It's too late." <laughs> She's like, that's the worst idea. I'm like, I'm coming. Vivian, I'm coming. And um, <laughs> hopped on the plane, landed, tourist visa. Uh, you can't get anything on a tourist visa. Can't get a car, can't do anything, can't get a house, can't do all this stuff. And we realized that coming two weeks early was pointless. So we essentially spent two weeks waiting for the, the rest of the team arriving. And so honestly, the first six weeks, we lived in a single room. It's not even a basement suite. It was a room in the basement. Uh, that you didn't know was a room because the door was actually a shoe yes, cl- yeah. a shoe closet, and so it was like a secret room. Wow! We like I felt like the underground church, like like you didn't know that we were in there. <laughs> All five of us jammed into this tiny room for six living weeks, living out of our bags, living out of our bags, and on the hospitality. Like we're yeah. so thankful for that family; yeah. they were amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it's not what you envision. Um, And we did that for six weeks. But my visa didn't come through. But God was good because we got cars given to us. We got... We got a house, like a, we checked out this one house and the landlord is in West Van. He's like, no way, I'm going to rent it to you. And then six weeks later, he calls me up. He's like, Ben, I've had so many eligible people come through. But every time I just, I go to sleep and I get disturbed. Wow. And so, do you think you want to look at the house? And I said, yeah, man, well, I'll take my wife. We came. I said, look, because you took six weeks to get to this decision, we actually need it cheaper and we need to add an extra person. And so he actually gave it to us cheaper and added an extra person without a wow. visa. God without f- a visa, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we had two homes that we rented. The team was split across the two homes and thus began the pioneering stages of finding wow. jobs and doing that. Everything we thought that would be easy was hard and everything that we thought would be hard was easy. That's just our God's yeah. dichotomy, right? If, so. if, you look, if you look at our, like, church planting, like, prior to doing this, if you looked at, like, our ministry resumes, like, and going, would these guys be fit for uh, church planning? It'd be like, yes, like they check the boxes. Sure. You get here and you realize how much of your resume you don't need mm. <laughs> and it's just useless. And, and I don't say that like, I mean. It becomes more useful as time goes yeah, on. Yeah, but in that moment of like just the conception of it, God starts breaking down things in how you used to operate and and says, I want to get rid of that or I I want to keep this and amplify this. And so we were in this season of of really getting rid of things that were once good, but now for the new season and for what Avant life was going to look like, needed to go. Um, Mm. And so it was was a really... I felt like God just took, and he's still doing it, Mm. decided and said, look, I'm going to rip off all of your all your incorrect understandings when it comes around control. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the mindset around, like, uh, how you do things and how we inadvertently control things. Um, we tell our kids all the time, you say yes to something right now, you're saying no to something else, right? Mm. Like when it, And I feel like God was trying to teach us, hey, maybe you've been saying yes and leaning into things and it's been robbing you of being able to say yes to other things I want to do. And you've been leaning into your own dogma and tradition and not into actually what I establish or want to establish. And you've been confined by that. And so he's still doing that work in us. Just hmm. So there's a young take- couple listening right now and they're thinking about church planning. And they're like, they take you out for coffee and you have tons of good small chat and you've encouraged them. So, you know, the encouragement stuff's happened. And they go, so what do I need to know though? What you, what, what, what is it that you want to to speak into their lives as they prepare to make that big step. Just looking back at your experience and what you've learned, what do they need to hear at this stage in the journey? Um, I always say this to young church planners. If you can do anything else and want to do that, then do that. But if you can't do anything else, then give it your whole, your whole life. Leave nothing mm-hmm. on the field. Just go for it. Trust the Holy Spirit is your methodology. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if there's a playbook. I don't subscribe to that stuff personally. Um, what I do know is that he's written a book for you. He's written a strategy for you. Pursue it. And if he's called you, it's not a profession. It's a calling. Yeah. Hmm. It's not a job. 
though that's such a privilege. Yeah. So go for it. Like the worst case scenario, God's just going to honor your heart. He's going to love on you anyway. He's a good God. You're trying to build his kingdom. Mm. I love that. What are you what are you wanting to say into that, Emma? Um totally everything he said, but I would always say keep a sweet spirit. Mm. Um don't don't partake in any type of bitterness no matter what comes your way. Um mm. If you're wanting to pursue church planting, it's because you're wanting to pursue God and his kingdom. And in that, just keep a sweet spirit. It's so mm. simple, but I honestly subscribe to the simple gospel. Um, if we were to apply these simple things that we hear more often, um, I think we would have a lot more healthy and fruitful believers and Christians and churches. Yeah, come mm. on. Can you tell me more about that, Emma? I think I think I know what you mean by have keep a sweet spirit. You use the word bitterness, and I, I think I'm noticing that ministry could, does have a way of not softening your heart but hardening your heart. Mm. I mean, it's part of how we cope. It's part of human life. Um, I wonder sometimes. I I don't know if I think we're probably similar ages. If our generation, in particular, um, can can bend towards criticism, um, and that can like also calcify on our heart in a healthy way. Can you just speak a bit more about what you mean by like mm. keeping that sweet spirit, um, not being bitter and just, and a little bit like, how do you do that? I think one of the things that helps you really stay sweet spirit is, is actually knowing what you're meant to do. Mm. As mm. soon as you start playing and, and performing or uh, working to somebody else's method of church, instead of what God has given you, you start to get bitter because you realize, and it's part of our fault, really. It's like we start straying from what God has called us to do. And in that, we allow bitterness to be planted. And Mm. um, I would say one of the things that will help you and protect you from bitterness is be 100% sure about what God's calling you to be, what church God's calling you to be. Because there's a million different methodologies and there's different strategies and different ways of doing things, and they're all good, but they're, they become distorted and they become bitter when they're not meant to be what you're meant to be doing. Mm. And mm. so really know that mandate on your life and don't give that mandate up for anything. Um, that'll save you from a bitter spirit. One of the things we always tell our leaders, and I actually like, we subscribe to this really well, is that you know pain isn't failure. Mm. Hmm. Like uh, we have to, as as good leaders, become slightly indifferent to pain from the concept that just because I'm going through a painful season doesn't mean my God hasn't hasn't called me into that season. It doesn't mean I yeah. got anything wrong. It just means that in that pain, there's purpose, yeah. there's wow. growth, there's there's the pruning, and therefore, when I think of pain, unless I've I can clearly within my wisdom go, no, this is <laughs> this is something I've done and caused myself. You know, people are going to hurt you, people are going to make mistakes, people are going to judge you incorrectly. But God uses all that pain to develop in us who we need to be for greater things to come. And so, mm. instead of getting bitter about the pain. Just get comfortable with the uncomfortable and know, you know what? Pain's good mm. within reason. Pain is good. Mm. It's a good indicator that you're alive. It's a good indicator that you still feel. The moment mm. you don't feel anything, there's a problem, right? Yeah. And so you know your heart's not sweet anymore. Mm. Sweet hearts wow. feel pain. Wow. I, um, I, there's a lot of wisdom in what you guys were saying there, and I just really appreciate you guys sharing that. I know you think a lot about culture and culture making and talking about culture is a funny thing because it's like sometimes people mean by different things. It could be a cool word like, oh yeah, just the culture, think about the culture of church and like, you know, you can hire firms that come up with culture statements and they don't matter if they're not something you're committed to living into. Um, But I do think the most important thing in every organization is their culture by far, the most important thing. And, uh, the culture that's written on the wall isn't necessarily the culture that is in your organization. Mm -hmm. Every organization Mm -hmm. has a culture. And uh, I think the best leaders know where their culture's at. They know where they want it to be, and they have some sense of how to move it there. Um, I know you guys put real time and thought. And am I I right that you actually have something that you refer to as a culture code? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, like a culture statement. Can you guys speak speak to that a little bit? Because I know that there's real thought, real intentionality. Take your time, walk us through it. Yeah, so years ago... um, 
I like had a like a, a conniption almost <laughs> as a pastor, where I was like. I didn't comprehend, like, we spend so much time on our mission and we spend so much time on our vision. And I'm like, those things are important, so don't don't get me wrong. But when I sat in a, a service with Dr. Sam Chan um, and he's, he's teaching us all our leaders and he's like, you know what? Uh, you know, he says, and it's probably stolen. I don't know, maybe he came up with it. I don't know who he references. But he said something that just impacted me. He said, you know what? A, a unhealthy culture will eat vision for breakfast every morning. Hmm. And I was like... Why do we have vision statements? Why do we have mission statements, but we don't have a culture statement? Mm. Um, and we don't have it in a way that... And so I went on, not I need one for church. I wrote one for my life. Yeah. Ben, what is the culture which you want to live? That's wow. going to define you as a leader that you're going to be held accountable for as a, as a believer. And so I wrote a culture statement and I shared it with M. We like... This probably it's can so apply good. for everyone. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to sound cheesy. It's classic, like, missionary kid culture statement. But, um, <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Uh, but it's beautiful in the sense that he just said to me, Ben, I want you to remain helpful in everything you do in life. And in that, you're going to be successful. So in that success, I want you to remain humble. Uh, and in your humility, when you come up against people that want to abuse that, I want you to remain hopeful because you serve a better king. Um, mm. And you can achieve all these three things and you'll, you'll find great meaning in life and your culture will be so healthy uh, by remaining his. Mm. Know who anchors mm. you. Know your cornerstone. Know your capstone. You know, and, and be good in those four things yep. um, and, and watch as your life holistically begins to breed this healthy culture that other people want. And mm. so over the years, we've slowly implemented it into our leadership discussions. Hey, when we have, if something goes wrong, the first question I ask my team is, has everyone remained helpful here? Right? I don't want to know how the car got into the ditch straight away. I want to know how we're getting it out first. Wow. And then, then we can talk about how it got in there in the first place. But let's does that get affect it out. The way, does that affect the way, like, I would say, and again, I, I, feel, I know it's cheesy to talk about this generation, but, you know, millennials, Gen Z, we're all very good yeah. at talking about what's not right. Like yeah. we're like like because and because we're we have access to so much information. Yeah. Like you're comparing your life to the highlight reel as others. You're comparing your church, your business, yeah. your whatever it is, uh, your your school to whatever you're seeing externally. So we're good at criticism. When you say remain helpful, that connects there somehow, right? That's this idea of being like, hey, it's fine to acknowledge how this could be better, but the posture is. Yeah. I'm here solution-oriented. Is that Correct. kind of the idea? Yeah, so like we tell people all the time, any person, I mean, doesn't take a genius, anyone can find dirt, <laughs> right? Like it's everywhere. Like don't, like don't point out dirt as if you're just the most observant person. It's finding gold that's difficult. Hmm. But at the end of the day, we, I want a helpful person. I said, don't you love it when your waitress or your waiter is helpful? When, when you enter into a coffee shop and the barista is overly helpful, they tell you what you're drinking, they want to make sure the experience, it's like that above and beyond helpfulness that actually sets people apart. And I'm like, don't we want to be a, pe a person that when someone encounters me and I talk about Jesus, they align that with my helpfulness. Mm. They don't align mm. that with my criticisms. Mm. They align that with the fact that it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter their creed, their color, their nationality, their gender, their sexual preferences. None of that matters in that moment but the fact that I'm helpful. Hmm. Now, obviously, helpfulness will look different in different scenarios, but at the end of the day, is my posture helpful or is it, hmm. is it confrontational? Is it hostile? Hmm. Is it educational for that person? Is it academic only and no th you know, all theory but no practice? Mm. Like we talk to our teams all the time. Like you've got to honestly just be the helpful kid in, in yeah. the classroom. <laughs> and then there's also the inward application of helpfulness. Are you being helpful to your own calling? Like, mm. like the decisions that you make in your everyday, are they actually being helpful for what you're called to or are they yeah. prohibiting yeah. your calling? Wow. Like, and so as leaders, you need to also be thinking, what is actually helpful to get me to where God has, has intended for me to go? Um, because there's a lot of things that in our lives we do that it's like we're constantly stepping backwards from where our calling is when God is like, just be helpful to yourself. Like actually stop being helpful to yourself and start figuring out what things need to to stay and what things need to go within you. Um, and so that helpfulness is, is an, it has an inward and mm. an outward application. It's beautiful, mm. actually. If you, if you get it, and honestly, lead pastors know this really well. Most lead pastors I know are super helpful people. Yeah. Uh, 
And it's almost like we forget to translate that into our team on an actual deliberate, intentional level. Like, hmm. like I don't know a lead pastor that wouldn't help stack chairs. I wouldn't mm. know a lead pastor that wouldn't know how I to do I might know that. one. I might know <laughs> one. But. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. You know? He's remaining hopeful. Yeah, yeah, a bit of hope here. But but that's that, you know, I'm happy to serve at every level. That's usually the, that's usually the heart of a lead yeah. or senior yeah. pastor, right? Yeah. And and I think we can exhibit that in our behavior, but we've also got to train and lead our teams into it yeah. and actually say, you know what, we've got to write material about this. We've got to put it a part of our key pillars. So it's it's something we celebrate. What you celebrate, you normalize. Yeah. So hmm. What about um, humble, hopeful, and his? You don't have to hit all of them if you don't want, but just give us a little bit more as you work through those other aspects of, of the culture that you're shaping. God honors helpful people. He trusts helpful people. And in that trust, he's going to give you great success. Now, mm. we don't mean you're going to have like a mansion and stuff, but I mean success in the way you influence people for the kingdom. And mm. there's always in that success uh, a chance that you might fall into the trap that you, it's about you. Wow. Like, that you're extra special, that you've made this work. But really all you've done is put into place the principles of God yeah. and he's honored them because he's a good God. Hmm. Um, and so we tell people all the time, the greatest offensive weapon for the church is our humility. Yeah. Wow. A, great, a great way to actually test that as well or to make sure that it's like it's, it's alive is because what happens when you have success and you start to have this... Um, this idea that it, it's your kingdom you're building, it's because you're you're face-to-face -face with man. And when you're face-to-face -face with man, it's easy to start comparing and to go, well, I do this really well and this really well. If you actually become face-to-face -face with God, however, <laughs> you're reminded of how filthy, worthless we are yet how wonderful and abundant his grace is. Mm. So humility is not looking face to face with man. It's looking face to face with God and remembering what we have been saved from. And if you can continue to do that, and that's why it ties into remain his, right? When you're remaining his, you're looking at his face. If you're looking at the face of God, if you're seeking the face of God, I don't know an arrogant person that can do that because you're reminded of your own failures and of mm. his incredible grace. Um, it's what we preach on Sundays. It's what we preach to our congregations. But in our culture, we have to live it. Humility. Mm. We always tell the team, it's not false humility. Because you can't take a compliment doesn't mean you're humble. Yeah. Like, you know, the lack of being able to take a compliment, that's just on <laughs> you. But, but we're talking about humility in the sense of not me first, you first. Yeah. Mm. Like, and we all, we talk about, I always challenge my team, hey, you know how Abraham took... Um, Isaac up and, and to be obedient was going to sacrifice him and then we see God intervene and he gives a ram in place for the sacrifice. I said, what if, what if hypothetically you're the ram? Hmm. What if you're the ram so the promise can live on in someone else? Yeah. What if that was your life? What was that if you, that was your calling to lay your life down so that the hope of God could continue? Hmm. Right? And I was like, often we want to think we're Isaac or we're Abraham, but what if you're the ram? <laughs> Hmm. Uh, what if you're that thing that's just been pulled out and you, and you can be so upset with God, but the great privilege is, is that our lives are, are living sacrifices. Like hmm. we're all that ram. <laughs> Bro, that's powerful because that's like, if the ram is anything, it's a foreshadow of Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. Yeah. I think it's Philippians unpacks it. Like, like this is like essentially true leadership. Being in very yep. nature, God did not consider equality yes. with God something yeah. to grasp. And so that's our only example. So leadership yeah. in the kingdom is like lay down your life for someone else. And which easy to preach, sounds great to yeah. make the connection right now. It's a whole different gear. And every single cue we get about leadership uh, around us is, is a worldly leadership that yeah. says to mm -hmm. actually acquire more, build up yourself, protect yourself for the sake of your leadership. And the kingdom ethic is just upside down that way. Mm. It's true. I had a great leader in my life come to me once when we started youth pastoring. He says, Ben, do you know when you build this youth group, I want you to build it with this mindset and use this for the rest of your ministry. Think about it this way. Are you going to be judged on how large your youth group is now? Like if you grow it to two, three hundred kids or will your fruit of your labor be judged with how many of them are still believing in Christ in 10, 15 years time? Mm. Like, where's the longevity in your the way you think about your ministry? And all of a sudden, you realize it's not just getting bums on seats. 
It's not just about the headcount. Like, if that was the case, I'm just, I'm just doing business. It's actually about seeing people's lives change, which means I've got to be way more deliberate. Lights, mm. good music, appreciate that all. But that's not what that's not what leading people into transformation. A great word on Sunday is awesome, but at the end of the day, what culture do you have as a church and how is it leading people to Jesus and the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in their life and the sanctification process? Like, are we focused, honestly, in the Pentecostal church as well, and I don't know, there's obviously lots of denominations here, so ours is very sort of evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal mindset. Like, I just think growing up in the lights and sound generation, uh, we love it and it's cool, but I also think this generation doesn't care if it's there or not. Mm. <laughs> They're like, it's nice, but I'm actually not here for that anymore. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, come on. It makes my job easier uh, in the <laughs> sense that I'm not tricking myself anymore. Yeah. I'm not living yeah. to a human standard of success anymore. I'm just remaining helpful. And in remaining his, talk to me about that. Oh, man. Like, we just really glean off the, you know, you're the branches, I'm the vine topic. And I said, like, as a kid, we used to have um, grapevines in our yard and we'd prune them back every year. And I'd always laugh how long the, the branches disconnected from the vine would stay green. But when they went green, or when they went brown, it was almost overnight. Yeah. Wow. And I, I was like, it's just like that. If we don't remain connected to him, if we're not remaining his in him, being defined by him, we can look like we got it all together, but overnight we're going to turn brown. The Bible says we can just get burnt. That's what we're used for. Um, and then we're going to blame the church. We're going to be bitter. We're going to say the church used us, even though we asked God to use us. <laughs> and like all these things happen. And so we're saying, hey, all of these first three things, helpful, humble, hopeful, they're all the outworkings of being his. So whose are you? Hmm. You're either of the world or you're, or you're his. Um, and so figure that out and we will help you figure that out. <laughs> we'll give you like a pamphlet or a brochure or something yeah. like that. But um, <laughs> but that's us. We, we really think if you can, Emma said, if there was three messages you could preach uh, that would define you for me, it's the victory that we have in Christ. Mm. Like mm. it's for now. It's like it's so tangible and so real and it's so accessible. We just don't get to define it. Mm. I'd love to chat about buildings for a second. Mm. Um, I know you guys would be quick to say, hey, buildings, they're not the most important thing. You don't need to build and plant a church. You guys are like willing to hustle, but you've actually found yourself um, work with two different facilities. And I just think this, this conversation is actually really important because there are buildings that are becoming increasingly empty. Mm-hmm. And so can you t- t- tell us about both the story of Squamish and you're gonna have to tell people where Squamish is in relationship to Vancouver, but yeah. then also the facility you're in in North Vancouver. So we came with every intention to be a bump in, bump out in a high school or in a theatre. Like, yeah. And we both come from a church where one of our campuses was that. So we knew how to do it. We, we didn't feel out of our depth with that. We came up to uh, what was called uh, Canyon Heights, Canyon Heights um, which is the facility here now as uh, North Vancouver Avant Life Church. And we walked in and we, the guy behind the coffee bar, we just started chatting to him and um, there was an instant connection, but we couldn't quite figure it out. Turns out he was the uh, the pastor of the church. And mm-hmm. so he invited us to come along to a couple of like their gatherings and things like that. And he really sensed on his heart that there was some type of, of convergence that was going to happen. Wow. And um, we all had different ideas about it. But for Ben and I, we just moved across the other side of the world. And so if it wasn't God, we were really happy not oh, your to Your mandate has to be your mandate. So we weren't after a building and we weren't going to try and play for it um, mm. in that sense. And so we kind of left it. We did what we needed to do, had our meetings, all of that stuff. Yeah, we, we, we respectfully yep. said, hey, if, God, if you feel like God's told you to give us the building, then give it. But he, what we know he hasn't done is told us to compromise that we're a church plant. We're not a church revitalization. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we're not taking on something old and, and rebirthing it. This is you saying what was is about to, to die, which is sad. Mm. Uh, churches die, but the asset could live on yeah. in, in whatever the fresh breath of God looks like. What size it, was the congregation at this point in their journey? Oh, um, man, they had eight members. Eight, eight people. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, this is the hard thing. Like, I mean, we've, 
we've been given this building now and some people are like, why didn't you talk about it more? And I was like, well, because the church died. Um, yeah, it's sad. It it's is. Sad. It, it is really sad. And I mean, if we are the church, that's pain to our body. That's pain to us. And so celebrating the death of something that was once meant to bring life is not mm. something we wanted to do. So, um, but we, we had the right meetings and um, they gave us the building. Um, wow. We didn't do anything except for follow what we knew as our mandate. God's in a that. good God. Yeah. He, Honestly, in that, Jay, uh, yeah. we we suffered a miscarriage mm. uh, at 18, 19 weeks, which wow. devastated so us. Um, but God is so faithful. Emma had to go in for an operation, obviously, to, to give birth to bubs, and that, that honestly just tore us from the inside out. And I remember sitting at Tim Horton's opposite um, <laughs> Lionsgate Hospital thinking yeah. this is why there's so like, this is where the sad people come. As we just all sat in Tim Hortons and we all look sad. Uh, and yeah. I could only assume we're all because of the hospital there, right? Yeah. And it was in that moment that I get a phone call and said, you can have the building. Hmm. And to be honest with you, maybe other people might have felt like oh, good news. I felt like it was an exchange in that moment. Hmm. I was like really upset. I was like, God, it feels like you, you just, it feels like an exchange. I feel like you've exchanged my son for this mm-hmm. building. I said, you keep your building. I don't care about the building. I was like really upset. Uh, yeah, it took course. me a while to digest what he was really talking to me about. But, you know, all of that aside, what it has left in us is that buildings are awesome. And so I never want to ever rob those people of bumping in, bumping out. Having your own building is a massive yeah. advantage in the work for the kingdom. Yeah. Having to mm-hmm. bump in, bump out, if God's called that on your life, I think you guys are amazing. I think you're wonderful, but at the same time, I would never downplay it by saying that the building's difficult and it's hard to own. That's the goal, is that you would leave an inheritance for the generations to come in resource as well as in spiritual legacy. Yeah. Mm. God's been good. Yeah. And so, but every time I look at this North Van building, I relive that moment. And so it's yeah. still a building. Yeah. But it is funny because, I mean, Ben mentioned uh, briefly earlier, like, so in Australia, we were both pastors for youth, young adults and worship, but separately, I was the events manager and he was the building and operations manager. And it's funny how God trains you for things that you think in the moment are just for that mm. particular job or that current thing. Fast forward, if there's anyone that knows how to work buildings, it's Ben, like he he did it like our, our previous church from Australia was an old high school building. It was massive. And he was the building and operations manager for that. So it was like we knew what to do with it. We knew how to figure out all of the logistics. So that wasn't the problem at all. And so I just think even if it can be an encouragement to someone, you may be doing something right now that seems like you're just feeding into a purpose for the right now or just doing a job right now or learning. You're just doing basic admin. It always, when it's surrendered to God, leads to something more. Like hmm. this this calling is not just a destination. It's this journey of these moments of learning and, and seeing what God can do with what he's put in your hand back from the beginning. Hmm. I really appreciate you guys sharing even that painful part of your story. And um, I just wonder if there's any just reflection you might be up for sharing about what it feels like to be ministering to a people and leading to people while you're in pain, while you're hurting. Um, yeah. It was the hardest season of our life to put to now, ever. One of the um, couple, we had a couple um, that came over with us from Australia, good friends of ours, mm. still really good friends of Amazing ours. Couple. Um, and they, um, have four daughters now, but when we were in Australia, they suffered a miscarriage and we were there for them during that. And it was interesting because it's like God knew that we needed them for that moment. And Mm. so we had people who had understanding of pain in that regard Mm. that were friends to us. Um, and I think if I can encourage anyone it's to find friends um 
Real friends. Real friends. You don't have to have mm. like there doesn't don't write a list of what you're expecting from a friend. Just let God lead you into what that friendship looks like. But having those real friends was incredible. But Jason, you said um, that Canada has this prophetic word of healing, Absolutely. right? And we suffered this miscarriage just as we had started renting a new place. And the lady who owned the house, she said, I really feel this place is going to be a place of healing for you. Mm-hmm. It was like two months before. Two that. months before we lost the baby. And she was so right. Um, and non-believer too. Yeah, non-believer. She was so right. And, and honestly, in this beautiful country, it's amazing how you can have your own personal application for what healing looks like. Mm. Um, but it means so many things. And so God's word, God's prophetic word over Canada being healing, we lived that. Like we were able to receive that. And, and from that, we were able to go into our ministry in strength. And it's been incredible the opportunities that I've been able to uh, have with other um, individuals have ha- who have lost children um, mm-hmm. and, and walk th- with them on that. And, and be able to share wisdom because of what we went through. But it was never without healing. We always had that healing available. And, yeah, it was hard, um, but great friends really mm. make a world of difference. Wow. We actually, um, the night before we found out, the night before we lost him, we'd named him. Mm-hmm. We had no idea what the next day was going to hold. Um, and it was... It was, it's been guiding for us because we call, we gave him the name. We is, I love this name. Uh, Theo Creed was mm. his name, is his name. Um, and we went through this pain. But Theo means gift of God mm. and Creed means guiding principle. Um, and it just really, like, I look at that. It allowed us to, to realize more than ever that we serve a good God, that he gives good gifts uh, but it's still him. It's always him. It's always his will. Uh, no matter how painful it is, it's always his purposes are at, at play. And so, yeah, we went through seasons of grief, seasons of, of you know, I think parental anger. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. like it was rage or anything like that, but just grief anger, you know, questions. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we hit a good tension between allowing the congregation in but not in a dangerous way and then allowing those who had to be in in properly all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's a weird pain to carry in launch season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because it's interesting, his due date was the day after a church launched. Oh. And so it was, I mean, we were preparing for having a newborn baby on church launch. Yeah. Um, but I don't look at that now going, oh, that's horrible. Um, I actually see God in it so much mm-hmm. more. And um, if you can allow him to be your healer, you'll see the beauty beyond the pain. And um, it's a great place to, to find comfort. Well, I'm just so grateful that you would share about Theo with us and um, let us into your story. I'm quite affected here because I love you guys. We're just meeting you, but just love pastors and know it's hard. It's hard without that. And, um, I also just like, I, I have like a life, like side dream of like, just wanting to hook up pastor's kids. Cause I just love pastor's kids. I think it's hard and mm. yeah. just honor your kids and, and their story and the way that their stories inform your own journey. And I really appreciate you guys taking time. You didn't have to share that part of your story, but I know for some people listening, they're hurting, they're feeling stuff and they feel alone and maybe they feel a little less alone. So thanks for, thanks for doing that. Um, I know that your guys have big dreams and, um, I really believe in God for big things and to have a multiplying effect, the church you're leading. And, and part of that is like taking roots right now as you guys are doing a project in Squamish. And I know that's part of a bigger vision. Can you tell us about that vision and then practically about this step um, you guys are taking in Squamish? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we work our, you know, when we come up with a vision and we, we ask God for the vision, 
we tend to do it over a 24-month period rather than a 12-month period. Um, we always joke with the churches because I tell them I don't work hard enough and I need longer, more time. But um, <laughs> it's, it's actually more to do with the fact that in my time in ministry, I've just learned that it's actually closer to two years from start to finish that you begin to see the fruition of a vision, not 12 months. Mm. And therefore, we prefer to take the church on a journey of a 24-month period. And so they understand what they're giving into. They don't have mm. a, a an expectation that's unachievable within 12 months. And so uh, after we launched, um, a year into to launching Avant Life, we did the vision and we said God's really given us a vision to multiply. We always said it was a part of our DNA. And you would be aware of all the statistics, churches that plant churches in health tend to grow faster and healthier anyway. And so as long as you keep church planting a, a big mindset of ours, and we're like, we've got a blank slate, let's make it, God wants us to, he really wants us to keep either give into church plants or plant churches ourselves. And so we're praying about it. And like, I kid you not, we're like Olympic Village, downtown Vancouver. And I just it felt like God say, yo, I've got other people for that. I'm like, cool, where do you want us to go? And he's like, Squamish. <laughs> and uh, uh, I say that as if Squamish sounds like it's terrible. It's not. It's actually beautiful. but It's stunning. It, it's actually stunning, right? For, so for people to know, Squamish is like if you're driving from North Van to Whistler. Correct. Yes. Anyone listening around the world, you've heard of Whistler before. You go through Squamish. So Squamish mm-hmm. is the price of real estate's going up like crazy because of its yeah. proximity yeah. to Vancouver. Yeah. But it is out there a little bit. And yeah. it would be a mix of people who have been when it was a small town, mm-hmm. they're small yep. town people. There's yep. also mm-hmm. this mix of outdoors culture. And yep. then there's this mix of the Vancouver sprawl. So there's yep. wealth. There's people who've been there forever without wealth. Uh, yep. But it is definitely a unique space. And there's not like a ton of vibrant churches there per se. Because yeah. historically, it's a smaller town. Yeah. Is that yeah. a fair? Would you guys say that's a fair yeah. explanation? That's a, of it? It's a, it, you know, it's 25,000 people at the moment. But mm-hmm. over the next 10 years, it's, it's essentially pegged to double. That's incredible wow. growth for a small town, right? Um, yeah. But you're right. Those the the just the demographics and the cultural mindsets are so diverse and just this melting pot. Uh, and I was like, uh, okay, God, Squamish and uh, the kids. I like. I've honestly, I think one of the greatest gifts God's ever given me was that I just don't. I just do it. You know, if I can tell like leaders, if God says it, just, like, honestly, just just do it. So Ben's the type of guy that if. He needs to get through a door and the door's locked. He'll smash through the wall. Whereas mm. I'm the type of girl that will go look for the key. So right. God brought that together and it actually works really well for ministry. It does. <laughs> and so, so Squamish, we're like, okay, we brought it to the board. We prayed about it. You know, we're like, I actually think Squamish is it. I'm like, mm. it sounds crazy. Um, but I really felt like God said to us, hey, I actually have a plan for you to be a part of a lot of regional towns. Yeah. Um, and so let's start with Squamish. And so we set out the vision and I'm all about declaring it. Um, there's that old Pentecostal in me, got to (laughs) declare it, but not because (laughs) of the way I was trained. I just think if you declare it, then the words of faith have now been activated. The declaration is the beginning of, of the unraveling of God's plan. Mm. And so I love the fact that when we moved to Canada, I told everyone, God's not finished yet. He's going to give us something that he wants us to. It's, it's just not finished with something. And, and everyone's like, oh, cool. It sounds great. And then he gave us a building that was about church dying. Everyone, all of a sudden, because I declared it, yeah. people actually know you heard from God. And that's not about you. It's just our God still speaks. He's yeah. still alive. He's still mm-hmm. on the move. And so I'm like, we got to say it again. And so like, we're going to Squamish. Church was pumped. Um, what's the plan? Don't it's, part, know. it's part of saying it. Um, also a step of faith. Like I got, yeah. I, I think yeah. I hear you saying this and I want to, I want to meet you in that space. Is that part of it? It's digging the trenches around the altar and filling it with water. That's what saying it is, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's going, yeah. I know you're real mm-hmm. and I'm going to be held accountable to, to the men and women around me that I believe I'm hearing from you. But it also mm. is then when you declare it, it's now not just about you and God. It's about everyone else that's, born witness to the fact that you've declared it. So hmm. they have the choice to take or, or leave that faith statement. It's so and, true. And that's cool because then you get to see who you're fighting with because it's not like like this is not just one individual taking a city. It's like a church, like a, bo- a body, the body of Christ. It's a group of people. And so when you declare it, it mm. asks the question to everyone around you, are you in? And mm. that's cool. And then um, 
six months later, a church reaches out and says, hey, we're, we're like about to die. Um, we know that God's done this with another church with you before. He can do it again. Yeah. And so I was like, absolutely, he can do it again. But we've got to ask him because he might want me mm. to bump into a, a school building. So we've got to find that out. Um, and we, we did that beautiful transaction in the sense of like, God, they've come with this. Is this you? Was this what you were always saying? Was this was always a part of your, your project here in Squamish? If so, we're happy to. If not, and then we always, I say, like, I'm, I'm different to Emma in the sense that I'm like, if God wants me to go to Canada, he'll give me the right visa. It'll, it'll happen. If he doesn't want me to be there, he'll cancel my visa. <laughs> and so, so it is. And so <laughs> I'm like, all right, God, if you want us to have this church, the board has come to us and said they want it, but their membership has to vote. Their membership votes, yes, we'll do it. If they don't vote, if they vote no, it's not of you. Can we just leave it at that, God? <laughs> Make it easy for me. And so we did, <laughs> and, and the membership voted, and we took that as a mandate. And what I found was so beautiful is after the vote, they all came to us. And I said, how beautiful is it that you're now, we're now family on a church wow. level? I know all churches are family, I get that. Yes. But I'm like, I like, you're now, I'm now your lead pastor and, and I get to do life with you. And wow. that's mate, like that, that's beautiful. Yeah, and there's such a beautiful bunch of people that, that have decided to join and be a part of Avant. And it's growing. Like, I mean, there's people that have joined the journey so far that weren't a part of that previous yeah. church. Um, but honestly, oh, like, so and, and I love how different it is from North Van because, mm. one, it shows us that God is still teaching us how to lead all types of people um, and that we haven't hit the market on a particular type of mm. personality or whatever. It's like, no, he wants us to lead everyone. Like, yeah. so um, they so, are yeah. a beautiful bunch beautiful of people. Beautiful bunch of people. Yeah. So open to the things of God. Oh, yeah. You know, they're not holding it with a closed fist. They're just so desperate for a move of God. It's open-handed. And, wow. and what I find amazing is that I know for a fact that this is happening because we stewarded the first thing well, yeah. the first location mm. well, yeah. the first people well. Mm. Like the majority yeah. of the, the, the leftover members of the old North Van Church are still a part of our, our wow. life. It was a big part. For us, it's a big deal. And so we're like, God, building aside, what you're asking us to do is to take on these people as our family and lead them. Because mm. What gotta, a privilege. And you got to remember, it, it's their prayers, really. Like they're the ones mm. that have been praying that God would do something where they are at. Mm. Um, and just because we rock up, like, but it's their prayers that have really seen uh, God's faithfulness to us uh, be so evident. What and I, yeah, so it's you, pretty awesome. What I love is that we're not a mega church, and so this is abnormal for everyone that, like... <laughs> Like a medium-sized church you launched yeah. a few years ago. I was like, uh, oh, yeah, we'll help. This sounds awesome. Like, <laughs> No, this is, but this this is the moment we're in because uh, COVID has expedited something that was happening either way, which is churches yeah. are coming to the end of their ability. They're, whether it's a tired board, there isn't a lead pastor, it's a struggling congregation, they can't meet the bills, they lack vision, whatever it is. This is a, this is a real thing happening right now. Mm. And mm. so hearing your story is awesome. And something I heard in the story, like one thing I heard is that you guys are clear and maybe this is a principle and you guys f can flesh this out if you want. There was a clarity on your specific calling. Like, hey, we can't bend, like, especially on that first building. Like, we know mm -hmm. when it's called. But there's also, and maybe you guys are just, you know, underplaying it, but there's a sense by which it's clear you honored something. Like, you intentionally figured out what did it mean to honor the remnant of people that were there, mm -hmm. to move at the right pace. Because sometimes I think that we can rock up and say, you're on board with our thing or not. And that can actually look like bulldozing. And actually, mm -hmm. if just a little more patience happened, and I think patience in some of these situations, a few more months is, is the difference between being able to like have a marriage or mm -hmm. just an asset transaction. And I wonder, yeah. like, if, if, if even as you're looking at this, this Squamish story, if there's anything you're learning, it might be something that we talk about next time you guys are on, but you're learning about what does it look like to honor the story while being clear on your vision. Mm. As pastors and as leaders, we can't go around saying the church is not a building, it's a people. And then when you inherit a building that has people attached, be concerned more with the building than the people. Yeah, There's something wow. drastically wrong with that. And we know that we're going to be standing in account for how we deal with God's church, which is not the building. 
And so for us, I want to make sure that I honor my God by honoring his bride, which is not the asset. And so the asset is but a function to help us better expand the kingdom. It's not the kingdom. Hmm. Um, and so, yes, we hundred we, we were heartbroken if we lost anyone. Even though we were told by a lot of people, you're probably going to lose them all. I said, it's not the point. Sure. I don't want to harden my heart to them because I could lose them. Yeah. I want to soften right. my heart to them because I'll, if they're a part of this, man, I want them to feel loved. I want them to feel honored and respected. I want them to feel a part of what God's doing in the brand new. That means I've got to remain, like Emma said, sweet-spirited. Hmm. Not writing off, off go, okay, thanks for the building. Uh, if you stick around, that'd be great. If not, you know, you've got decisions to make. Like for me, that's just so so transactional and so business-like. That I feel like yeah. that would hurt God. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You even look at like, I mean, I, we've been kind of uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount and, and before Jesus sits down to talk to those who have chosen to follow him. So talking to his disciples, talking to those of us who have said yes to him, it, it says this line, it says, and he looked at the multitude of people and then he taught. And I'm like, man, like we got to keep looking at the multitude of people. Like that's what actually drove Jesus to teach his disciples. Like like that he always had Compassion. the multitudes on his mind. He was never not thinking about them. And mm. um and that's why he taught. And so even in 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 teaching leadership and and having leadership conversations, if it's not with the multitude in mind, then we're just mm. talking. Um, and Christ wants us to actually transform that multitude and and be a part of their story and always have compassion. I don't remember who I heard it from, but um, it, it was this saying that actually burnout is not a, a pastor's greatest fear. It's actually blackout when you lose empathy for people. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, man, if that isn't true, like, like, man, I, God, just help me not black out. Mm. Like, if I if I continue to toil in working on this kingdom of yours, but I've lost all my empathy, I've lost all care and regard for people, yeah, then I am just working on a building. It's a and goal. it's just you're working on resources. You're not working on people. You're not working with people in their stories. And that is what we are. That's That's the bride of Christ. That's the body of Christ. People's stories are way more interesting than any building oh, yeah. this world has to offer. Yeah. Something that is the paramount creation of our God is far more interesting than anything a man can create. <laughs> yeah. So what, I don't know why we get fixated on assets, though I understand it, but people to me are so, they're so much more interesting and so much worth more worth my time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Than a, a, and don't get me wrong, we're always steward building as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's the people that fill the building that mm. that make life so much more interesting and make our mission real because they are it. Yeah, I think the moment movements put the assets before the people, um, something dies in its power. It loses oh, the power. It's gone. And um, oh, you guys are amazing. You guys are amazing leaders individually. Emma, Ben, it's so cool how God's called both of you gifted both of you uniquely but then also together it's been such a joy uh really to meet you guys i've heard about you we've got some friends in common this has been a real treat to get to know you more and thanks for the time you've really generously given us it means a lot well what a great story and encouragement to hear about ben and emma's church i want to tell you guys all about next week's guest but before we get there jason why don't you just share a bit about the work igm is doing right now and how they want to partner with canadian churches yeah i'd love to you know in micah chapter 6 verse 8 it says what does the lord require of you but to do justice and the bible speaks about the justice of god and the justice he longs to see for on earth and how the church is really the vehicle like we are the vehicle that he wants to use to bring justice in our time and in our world And I feel, especially in times like this, the question of what are we going to do to respond to the realities of injustice in our own neighborhoods and around the world is an important question for every church and church leader to wrestle with. International Justice Mission is one of the largest anti-slavery organizations in the world, and they want to help your church understand and live out biblical justice. This was shocking for me to discover, but today there are more than 40 million people worldwide trapped in slavery. 
And our friends at IJM want to do something about it, and they want to do it with the church. And so for resources to join the fight for justice, visit IJM.ca slash CCLP. IJM.ca slash CCLP, where you find everything you need to do your part to end slavery, human trafficking, and violence in our time. So good. I personally am so thankful for the work that they are doing. Now, next week, we get to hear from Charles Price. If you don't know Charles, he spent many years as an evangelist speaking to millions around the globe before joining the People's Church in Toronto as their lead pastor. Okay, Charles Price was so fun to talk to. I think I've got a special affection for people, men and women who have had like decades and decades of ministry under their belt. And what I loved about Charles Price was, and I know... People can't, won't be able to see it. There will be some clips online, but whenever he talked about evangelism, whenever he talked about preaching, there's just this like joy and smile and he has so much credibility and authority and I learned so much. I love the conversation. I can't wait for people to hear it. Well, clearly you loved it. So I'm sure we'll love it too. So we will see you next week for Jason's conversation with Charles. Charles.